we go. All right, we should be live shortly. Hey, everyone. Good afternoon. It is Angie Atkinson. I'm here with the beautiful and talented Dana Morningstar. Dana, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Always happy to have you. So while we're waiting for the chat to pop up, I'll just remind everybody, my name is Angie Atkinson, and on this channel, I offer free daily video coaching (laughs) to help you discover, understand, and overcome narcissistic abuse and toxic relationships. I like to call it toxic relationship rehab, so if that sounds good to you, hit the subscribe button. And as always, I'll recommend that you check out Dana's channel, Thrive After Abuse, and she's also on Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere else as Thrive After Abuse or go to thriveafterabuse.com for more information. Good afternoon, Jillian. How are you, my friend? Um, So Dana and I thought we would start off today talking about rumination. Dana, do you want to get us started? Sure. Um, You know, I think this is one of those things where after an abusive relationship, it's really common for people to really get caught up in overthinking. And, uh, it's just in, in rumination basically is it's just this continual rehashing of of a certain topic and in, in the case of abuse it's generally what happened with the abuser and something that i've seen happen a lot um, when people go to therapy is that it's kind of understood as okay this was a tra- traumatic event and this is why there's this rumination happening and um trying to get the person to shift out of that and in, in just shifting gears into thinking about other things. And I can totally understand that. However, I think one of, I don't know. I mean, like a lot of times an abusive relation, not a lot, all of the time, an abusive relationship is a manipulative relationship. And so a lot of that rumination comes from a person trying to sort out what happened mm-hmm. and So this is so crazy making for other people because survivors will oftentimes go back and they'll, they'll analyze every single glance, text message. What does this mean? What could this mean? Why are they doing this? Why didn't they, you know, um, just really making themselves crazy, trying to figure out the abuser's intentions and um, to other people, they're like, just let it go already. And a big part of the reason people do that, they do this rehashing of, in, of events and um, of even like future events, right? Like, well, what is, what could this mean? And it's, it's a way to try to keep themselves safe and um, to try to sort out what was a manipulation and what was real. Yeah. And, and I think, I guess the point of all this is like, at the end of the day, we'll never know what, we can all make ourselves nuts trying to second guess, like, well, what did they really mean by this? Or what could they mean? And I think we just have to always default to, it's all about control with them. Like that's the one thing that we do know with abusive people, it's all about control and it's all about winning. So trying to analyze like the minutia of, but did they really mean this? Or is, are this time they're telling the truth or am I making a big deal? Like it's about control for them and we need to shift the focus onto us and, uh, where our boundaries are and that just how we can be self-protective. Like we don't need to figure them out in order to keep ourselves safe. Truth. I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Totally true. And I see this a lot with where the same kind of thing where people, they don't, I think a big part of it, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, I think a big part of it for a lot of people has to do with closure or the lack thereof, because narcissists tend to do this thing, whether you leave them or they leave you, where they just kind of 
end stuff or they kind of just move on really quickly and the person doesn't really a survivor doesn't really get a lot of um explanation or understanding there's no closure and i i see this a lot and people are just like well but but did this person ever love me did this person this did this was this real was that real and i agree i i don't think that it's healthy to keep focusing on it but i also see you know like i've got one client right now in a terrible situation her narcissist passed away and she didn't ever get any sort of closure she had just kind of started to think about going no contact when this happened to parent and and she still feels like you know oh my gosh i don't feel like i can heal until i figure out why this happened and i mean this was a lifelong thing and so just recently she kind of came to the idea that well maybe i can try to heal and also figure it out at the same time and so i think that's a step but I, I think until we can let go of what we can't control, which is very hard, I, I think we, yeah. we feel stuck, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think you bring up a great point about the needing closure thing. And, and I think oftentimes, like you were saying is like, well, did they really love me? And like, what did this mean? And was this real? And a lot of that getting closure is, is releasing the pull of the fantasy. Yes. It's like, please, and I get it. I get it. Cause I've been there too, you know, where it's this feeling of like, but please tell me some part of this was real, right? Like yeah. they, they really did love me. I just need to sort out like what part of them was like manipulative and cruel and sadistic and hurtful and what part of them actually cared. And I think this is a, maybe a later um, stage in healing this realization of these types of people don't attach deeply to other people. They don't love in the same way that you and I know the word love or use the word love. And it has nothing to do with anybody else. It has everything to do with them. They have a bunch of walls up. They just don't effectively attach or bond to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, And I think on that same note, part of the reason that I think it's so difficult for us to even see that, especially as empaths, is because in the moment that they're saying, you know, the things they're saying, I I love you so much, you're the only person I've ever met that's good enough for me, whatever, whatever they're saying, I think we tend to believe them because in that moment, they believe themselves. You know what I mean? They're so wrapped up in their own um, BS not all of them, but a percentage of them, I think, believe themselves. Because I, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a person who is a toxic person. I, I'm not going to diagnose anyone in particular, right? But let's, let's just say someone I knew to be toxic to my life and, and looked at them and thought, oh, my God, they actually believe the lie they're telling me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I could see right through it at that point because by then I had been involved with that person long enough to see it. But that would be why so many of us struggle with those feelings of confusion because when they're good, they're so good, you know, Yeah, they're almost too good to be true. And then when they're bad, holy shamoles, it's a whole other ball of wax. Nicola Owen says, yeah, I often think back to when I knew he was lying about where he had been. And I still don't know if it was the drink or cheating. And I think that's a, a perfect example of this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have a, yeah, I think that, you know, the, um, the good times can be so good. I think this goes, this speaks volumes about their level of uh, uh, just kind of very immature emotions. It's all fleeting. It's sort of like a little kid 
when they really, really, really love this toy. They have to have yes. it. It's my favorite. I'll do anything for it. Mm-hmm. I'll what, cl- do all the laundry and clean my room. And I just they just keep throwing stuff at you, right? To get you to cave in. I'll walk the dog. I'll be the best kid ever. And then you finally cave in and then you buy the toy. And then three days later, they don't care about it anymore. Oh, yeah. Then they're like, well, I need this new toy. This other toy over here. I've, I've often used the example of the cell phone. You know, like when you get a new cell phone, you, you, love it so hard it's new and shiny and pretty it <laughs> fast and everything it does all the stuff and then when it starts to kind of start to you know it gets too full or it gets a little bit out of date or a new one comes out you're like mm, maybe I need a new phone it's the same thing it's the same kind of love that narcissist you know that's just like just like the toy same thing I, I think it's so fascinating to 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 see it from a from an outside perspective, but when you're in the middle of it, it it's almost impossible to detect at first. And that's okay. why, you know what I mean? I think that's why we teach the red flag stuff, why we talk about these are the things that you might experience early in the relationship, you know, but, and hopefully we can save somebody. I don't know. This is a, a couple interesting comments here on this. Um, Robin Thomas, thank you for being here. She's, she's working the polls right now and she's, and she's still, oh, wow. thank you. Um, Let's see. Dude, trust me, says there's so much freedom and let freedom and letting everything go. I totally agree. And Maggie says the system has failed me. I will have to take him back. That's not good news. I want to talk about that in a minute. Um, Arctic Blue says I'm I'm just going to read a couple more and then we'll uh, she says the best way for me to get my closure was to realize I was dealing with an extremely selfish person who's capable of feeling like who isn't incapable of feeling how we feel their brains don't work right that's truth um and jillian says sometimes we rehash because we want to have some semblance of control we think if we could have done it differently things would be the same things wouldn't be the same hard to get off that track this channel helps yeah and and i think that's all very very true i think that's you know all just reinforcing everything we've said and i think it's all all true any thoughts on that yeah i agree i think especially the um, rehashing and then thinking, well, if I, how, 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 where's my part in this, right? Like, what could I have possibly done different to have it be a different outcome? And I think that's one of the main reasons people tend to go back so many times is it's just really difficult for us to wrap our mind around that another person could have such a complete in level of indifference and a lack of um, regard for another person. And, um, it just takes a while to really fully see that. And then and I think once you do, you're like, oh my gosh, like this person's telling me they love me. And then five minutes later, they're going to the bathroom and texting another girl. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. or they tell me that I can trust them. And then I find out they're, they have a credit card in their own name with debt that I didn't know about. Like when you start seeing the, these different sides and you just realize, oh, this, this is just games to this person. Like, yeah they're not invested. They're just invested in keeping me around because it's convenient for them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, it was hard for me. I mean, and, and, and on the, I think it was hard for everybody, but on the flip side of that, if we bring in like narcissistic parents to this, this game, (laughs) you know, obviously in, in not every case, but in many cases, that person kind of attached to you for your whole life and, and didn't, let go unless you went no contact and and there's a different kind of attachment there but even when we're when we finally recognize that and if we go no contact we still go through similar feelings of you know different feelings but similar uh, in a similar plane because I know for me it was like a lot of um and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because this has been I've, I've heard a lot about 
this recently. And, and one of the things um, for me, the feelings were similar to the ex, but also um, different because now I had to re-examine my entire life. And I had to wonder, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to wonder the same kinds of things about a parent, but, but you start to think, my God, was my whole life a lie? I've heard so many clients say literally almost those words. Oh my God, was my whole life a lie? When they realize what they've dealt with, with a parent, because often, in fact, I just read a study the other day. I'm sorry if I'm going off the track a little bit, but I just read a study um, where they were saying, let me see if I can find it here. Here it is. Um, That the, the, the main reason that people become vulnerable to, which I've said for years, but uh, to, to narcissists and sociopaths and things like that is because of childhood emotional neglect. And I think that really puts a, a pin on it because a lot of people go, well, my person was a spoiled rotten brat their whole life. But if you really look closely into that person's life, a lot of times, yeah, maybe they were a little spoiled, but somehow their parent did something to emotionally neglect them. Like maybe they just bought them off or maybe they went in the bathroom and cried instead of actually, you know, showing the child that somebody really has emotions, like if a a grandparent died or whatever, you know what I'm saying? There's always like some weird twist in their life that kind of shows you that they had some kind of trauma, whether it was understood at the time as trauma or even understood now as trauma, it, it somehow changed the way they perceive the world. And I think that's where some of this comes from. What are your thoughts on that? Am I going too far off? Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. I think for starters, you know, spoiling a child is, is abusive. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't, te- it doesn't set them up to succeed in the real world and right. it cre- it turns them into a monster. It just yeah. creates this massive level of entitlement and um, arrogance and just, it's, you know, Ugh, rotten, rotten, <laughs> like just yeah. rottenness. It's, it spoils them rotten, literally. Yes. And they don't have, uh, they don't develop like that team oriented mentality that's needed to really function as an adult in this world. And actually speaking of, of functioning, what you were saying about uh, the person who was saying like, oh my goodness, I feel like I just realized I have this parent who's a narcissist and I feel like my whole life is a lie. And I think another way to possibly understand that is your life wasn't a lie. Um, You grew up in a den of dysfunction. And that is a dysfunctional household. Isn't, it isn't functional. Right. And it's not, it's not, it's not healthy. And so when we don't have a healthy childhood, it feels the part about that. That's a lie is that it's not meeting our expectation. Right. And we're told certain stories by our parents and we believe those stories. And this sounds confusing and weird, but just stick with me on this for a second. Mm -hmm. I know you get it, Dana, but like, for example, one client I have, you know, she, her whole life, she's, she's like in her fifties and her whole life, she was told this certain story by her parents. And when she kind of woke up and realized what had been happening, all of a sudden the story started to crumble. The story that she believed of, you know, we're this great, happy family. Everything's amazing. We're, you know, there's no problems. I'm, I'm a happy person. And that sounds really, you know, you almost want to say, well, keep, keep thinking that at this point, you know, you're, but, but she woke up and recognized that, you know, she had been a pawn in this very, I would say at least sociopathic Mm -hmm. person's game. And, and it was for literally her entire life. And so, 
I think it's very difficult for us to, to wake up and see, oh my gosh, I've spent all these years, you know, in, in this, this storyline that wasn't real. You know, I had a story yeah. that I was told and, and, and you just start to believe it. But the problem is that inside of that little perfect story you're told, you're also told you're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough and nothing you ever do say, think, or feel will ever be good enough. And I think that's where, I think that is the beginning of why we end up in these relationships as adults. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think if a person, and again, this stuff isn't taught, but it's for sure not taught in like a dysfunctional home. And like, you know, I, in a lot of instances, like what you're describing, you know, dysfunction and manipulation go hand in hand. And so when a person is feeling like, my life was a lie. I can see what you're saying because yeah, a lot of it has been, cause it's been a manipulation mm-hmm. where what's up is down and what's down is up. And they're like, no, 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 we're all, ha- we're, you know, we're happy. We're ha- mom and dad are happily married this, that, and the other. And it's like, ah, really? Because I'm pretty sure dad's out cheating and mom drinks and like, you know, like all of this, this chaos is going on in this home, but we keep being told the opposite is true yeah. or, or even like events I have this in my family, total certain events that never even happened. Oh yeah. Uh, like flat out lies um, <laughs> about other family members or about, uh, I don't know, things in general. So I could totally appreciate like feeling like trying to just sort out, you know, yeah. all, all of it. And I think it just, dysfunctional people don't, a big part of it is they don't live in reality. All of this stuff, why they're so cookie cutter, all of this behavior, the projection, the gaslighting, the, all the different forms of manipulation and control, it's because they can't handle reality. Right. Right. I remember literally being in like group settings, like family events or whatever, where my narcissistic parent would tell a story. And I was, I just, I was just supposed to go along with whatever story she told. It was never true. I mean, maybe some of them were true, but a lot of them were just made up things, just made up things. And I was supposed to go along. And at some point I stopped going along and it infuriated this person to the point that (laughs) I can't even, it was really infuriating for this person. I'll just leave it at that. It made my life very difficult for a while. (laughs) Uh, Really quick. I want to say hello to Debbie and James and all of my other I don't see any of the other ones in here right now, but for my channel members who are in the house today, thanks for being here and I appreciate you. Okay. Anyway, let's, um, let's, uh, should we yeah. go to the, yeah, yeah. We've got a comment here from Natalie Okay, um, who mentions that her core wound, what you were just talking about is feeling not good enough. Uh, she says, I'm trying to figure out exactly how that set me up for narc abuse and domestic violence. I would love to touch on that really quick. Um, sure. I, I think from my perspective, and <clears throat> sorry, from my perspective, it's like this. <clears throat> um, one of the things that I was told always, you know, I wasn't verbally told, but I was told <laughs> without words that I should just take whatever I could get. That was true when it came to clothing or when it came to friends or when it came to events or anything at all. I was supposed to just take whatever was available to me and not expect anything better. And I think on some level that growing up thinking you're just not good enough, you never even look at the people that you might actually connect with on a deeper level because you don't think you're good enough for those people. And so when somebody comes along, and I saw this really interesting meme on Facebook today where it said like something like, uh, she, 
she wanted so desperately to be loved that she couldn't even tell it wasn't love, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's who I was. I, I wanted so desperately to feel loved and accepted that I would just take, and I did take <laughs> somebody who wasn't good enough for me more than once. And, and I think we've all done that. And I think that's part of it right there. And I think the other part of it has to do with just, again, just those simple feelings of, well, you're not pretty, you're not smart, you're not this, you're not that, so or handsome or whatever. So don't expect anyone to think that about you. Don't, you know, and if somebody does, they're probably lying to you. <laughs> that was a thing I heard a lot. Um, my person was born, my, um, my initial narcissist was born in the, or was a teenager in the 70s. And uh, that's when I was born. And in the 70s, the mid 70s, don't be judging me at people. I know I'm old anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but in the 70s, you know, w- women were burning their bras and they were not breastfeeding their children because they thought that was, you know, they had formula. They didn't need to breastfeed their child or whatever. And so I think uh, a teenager growing up in that environment who was also herself toxic made it more difficult for me to um, embrace myself as a woman, as a a girl in that, you know what I mean? Growing up. And I think that combined with her idealization of being a feminist or a, whatever it was that she was, I can't even say, but um, you know, I, I think all of those ideas kind of just really made my head spin. You know, I wasn't supposed to be in this kind of relationship or that. I mean, at some point I decided I didn't want to work out in the real world anymore. I wanted to be a stay at home mom that lasted like 10 minutes and then I became like, I need to do something because my brain feels like it's dying. So that's how I ended up here eventually. <laughs> but um, when that decision was made in my life, I was literally shunned for a long time because it was uh, not what women do today. You know, it wasn't, it was old fashioned and it was backward and it was not okay and whatever. Um, and, and again, this left me questioning everything that I was, everything that I thought, felt, did, said. And I, I think I'm, I'm rambling. So let me hear your thoughts on this. Well, I think, you know, what a lot of what you're saying and and what Natalie touches on this feeling, if we grow up, if we grow up feeling not good enough, then we don't have standards. Right. Because like Angie was just saying, like the feeling of you should settle, you should get crumbs and then be grateful for them. And um, I actually came across a great quote on Instagram as well. It, it was something along the lines of like, if you're not used to getting fed love with a spoon, you'll lick it off of a knife. Ooh, I know. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I guess I'm even thinking about it. Cause I'm like, wow, that is so true. And when a person is so starved out, we're so hungry for love and acceptance and attention. We mistake. Here's the other thing with dysfunctional homes is it's not only that there's a sense of like calm and peace and like um, safety and security in the home. It's also that major things are not taught and like context being one of them. So people that grow up in a dysfunct- in dysfunctional homes, especially they'll get out and they'll have bits and pieces of how to operate in the world. So it might be, uh, you know, like commitment is forever right? Family is forever. Mm. Um, uh, Kind of certain uh, platitudes that are spouted out. Well, those are all great, but not not without context. And so because we're operating with some of these belief systems of forgive and forget, um, you know, 
your old friends will always be there for you. Like things like this. If we encounter an abusive person, we're quick, we're starved out for love. So we're, we're desperate to hang on to it. But then we're also backing up that action with all of these um, beliefs that are really problematic out of context. So if we're like, oh, commitments forever, forgive and forget, you know, this kind of stuff, it keeps a person really stuck in there. Yeah. In abuse. And, um, and I think one of the the big takeaways, because is, is, it's, it's really boils down to like standards, boundaries, and deal breakers and um, media and movies and music and all of this stuff really teaches that, you know, it's about all the stuff that we go through with somebody else. Yeah. Right. And like that, you so kind of, there's a ride or die mentality. Like I'll stand by my partner through thick and thin, but the reality is if they're lying and cheating and hitting and stealing and, you know, berating you and all of this stuff, that's something that you need to walk away from. Yeah. Like that's, there's no value in standing by a person why they treat you like garbage. So true. And just on a, a similar note, Hollywood, okay. How many movies are there where the guy or the girl is a total butthole? <laughs> uh-huh. Sorry. Is that a clin- and, clinical term for that or is it? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where they're a total mm-hmm. jerk and somebody like sweet and kind and nice falls in love with them and they go through this whole drama thing and and they feel you know hurt by them and then at the end they all fall in love and everything's you know perfect that's part of the problem I think and I'm thinking of um he's not that into you one of those or he's just not that into you that one movie you know what I'm talking about um and like I could think of a million different movies where somebody got with somebody who you know and it's one thing to be like oh I don't like that person at first sight and then eventually you fall in love but these movies are like you know, this person's a total jerk and they treat you like crap, but Hey, definitely fall in love with that person. You know? <laughs> like, oh it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, like the, the movie train wreck. Yeah. You ever oh. see that? Like she's an alcoholic and sleeps yeah. around and it's all kinds of chaos and drama. And the guy's like the sense of stability and somehow that relationship works out. Right. Cause that's, that's normal. And that's really going to happen. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is interesting because I, one of my clients was telling me the other day, you know, she goes, I, I just don't understand why, why I, you know, kept drawing into these dramatic situations with these people. Why, why, you know, and I said to her, you know, it felt comfortable to you because it did. She grew up in drama. Drama was all around her. And the only way that she knew how to get attention was to create or feel dramatic about something or feel intensely about something because everything that her narcissistic parent did was intense and dramatic and swift. And so she kind of picked up like those fleas, you know, to do the same Mm -hmm. thing. And when she recognized this, I mean, girl, her entire, her entire self, you could just feel this like (sighs) release. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, it was powerful. It was powerful. I, I can't even, but I don't know, you know, and on the same, a couple, a couple of really good comments here uh, from the, on the same note, um, one of them from Metamorphosis, who says, my parents are lovely, but they seem to underestimate me, even as an adult. I think it made me not trust my decisions and views as a child and then an adult. That, and see, <laughs> I'm not saying your parents are narcissists, but when they do this, when they underestimate you, it is toxic. And this is something, I mean, I think that we have a natural propensity as parents to want to underestimate our children sometimes, not on purpose, but because we we want 
I mean, I'm dying. My, my youngest two are 10 and 15 and I'm like, Oh my God, it's too soon. It's happening too fast. My, my middle son's in high school. It's difficult, but at the same time, I have to remind myself not to underestimate their maturity and their abilities to do things. You know, like I struggle because I, I let my daughter walk to and from the bus stop now by herself. I shouldn't even say that. I'm just kidding. I don't really do that anyway. <laughs> um, but it's, we have, you know, we have digital leashes on them, so we know where they are at all times, but um, it's a, it's, and that's a, a terrible term, but my point is being underestimated by your, your narcissistic parent causes you to eventually underestimate yourself. And when it's a lifelong thing, as it is for metamorphosis, as it was for me, as it is for many children of narcissists, um, we end up just constantly thinking the same thing that we've, we've already touched on this. We're, we're not good enough, et cetera. But I'll tell you something as a parent, um, we can change the cycle. You know, if you know that you've done this to your children without thinking about it, without recognizing it, if you've blown them off when they had a deep thought to share with you, or if you've, you know, kind of minimized them or, or in any, in any situation, underestimated them, change your ways now because you still can create positive change in that relationship. And then just remind yourself every time they speak to you, this is an individual who is going to be an adult soon and has real thoughts and feelings and, and, and so on and so forth. And for me, that's been something I've done since very early with my kids, but I was so sensitive to the way I was treated by my own parent that I needed to change the way I perceived, you know, that I needed to be very careful how I treated my children, if that makes any sense. I'm a little off track. Anyway, No, but I think that's important because, you know, um, like the commenter was saying, you know, my boy, my parents were absolutely lovely people. They cared about us. We had an amazing childhood, except for this one thing that they either really underestimated me or maybe even that spilled over into like uh, undermining them. Yes. And it's easy. I've, I've done this well-intended with other children where you just don't want to see them fail. And so they might have some dream, some far-fetched dream. And you're like, Oh, well, maybe instead of doing that, you could try this. Mm -hmm. Right. And, or, or even like a a child falls down and scrapes their knee and you tell them, Oh, that doesn't hurt. Like you're fine. It doesn't hurt. Well, no, they're not fine. They they're in pain. Like little things that, that a lot of us do, it's well-intended, but the unintended consequence of that is that it separates a person from their reality. It's a, it's a mild form of gaslighting. Yeah. No, it's not intentional. And so it is something that it's really important for us to be aware of, like, because this stuff, like I keep saying, this stuff is not taught, like really tuning into your instincts and knowing yourself well enough to know like what is for you and what is not for you. Yeah. And to learning to think for yourself and to, yeah. to be grounded enough in your reality that you could be in a room full of people that all disagree with you. And you're like, you know what? I still feel like I need to go this way. Like, this is what's right for me. Right. And that's, that's a hard, that's one of the, the biggest key pieces in healing is learning to reconnect to that inner part of yourself to where, you know, what's nourishing for you and you know, what's toxic for you yeah. and like what directions to head and to stay grounded in that. Yeah. And you get to a point in recovery where I, I mean, at least I have, and I know you have as well, Dana, where you become very defensive of your peace. Right. And so you, kind of get to you get to that place where you're just like 
I'm not going to accept toxic people in my life anymore because there are other people in the world who won't do this to me. And, you know, I, I'm a big fan of quality over quantity when it comes to my inner circle people. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that's mm-hmm. big, important stuff there. Um, tell it like it is ads that um, I, and I can't tell because there's no photo here if we're talking to a female or a male. So I'm going to say they, I apologize. Um, says I went to a family party in which I did not want to go that I didn't want to go to. And I was wearing a nice shirt and my mother made a comment and said, wow, that shirt really brings your chest out. I didn't know what to think. Mm-hmm. I, and she said it, I think it's a she. She said it felt awkward and weird. And I think that assuming that you're a female based on what you said, that you may be dealing with someone who's jealous of your youth and beauty. I've seen that a lot with uh, narcissistic mothers. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, God. I get stuff like this all the time from my family. Um, it's my uh, it's still an, an issue, and I'm 41. Um, I don't know. I have I have just gotten to the place now where kind of like my pre-programmed responses. If somebody makes a snarky comment about my weight or uh, something like that. I'll just say, Oh, that's so nice of you to notice. <laughs> um, so I yeah. just kind of give the snark right back. Or if they make a comment like, well, that shirt really, really accentuates your chest, or you look really, you look too busty in that top. Um, like those kinds of things. I just say, I, I am a busty gal. Like I look busty in everything. So I, in your comments aren't appreciated or welcomed. Like I finally had to get to that place with my mother where I'm like, I don't, I really, I know that you're coming from a well-intended place, but I don't want to hear it. No more comments about my weight or my chest. Yeah. Like it just, cause it, 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 it feels like it kicks the chair out from underneath you. Yeah. And then you're self-conscious, like for sure the rest of the day, but like and that I think, lasts for a while. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's why they do it because they want you to feel uncomfortable. You know, I, I think narcissists, toxic people in general, they love to make people feel uncomfortable. And, and sometimes they do it because they themselves feel uncomfortable. They feel um, like in your case, Dana, I, I have this suspicion, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. that the family members who are coming after you with those comments are people who wish they also had a similar situation. Maybe I could be wrong. Um, or depending on, you know, whether we're talking about a man or a woman, I guess. Um, I would also say, ah, I have this weird thing going on with my face. Um, (laughs) I would also say that, that, you know, I think you're very pretty and I, and I'm not trying to be weird and, and like, you know, like virtually grope you here, but (laughs) I think that, that a lot of people feel very threatened by attractive people man or woman, you know, and, and I see that, especially with um, toxic, you know, I've seen it with toxic women being threatened by younger women or more attractive women. I've seen it with toxic men being with younger or more capable or richer men. Um, And I've also seen where a, like, a younger like an older person, um, I feel threatened by, I, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop looping around there. But I guess my point is that that was a weird thing somebody just said. 
my, my point is that I think there's um, a lot of histrionics of, oh, I know what I was going to say. Okay. The other side of this coin is that when we are with somebody who makes it clear, and we're going to kind of step away from the parent thing for just a minute, you know, who makes it, when we're dating someone or married to someone who makes it clear that they find other people attractive in the world and, and more attractive than they find us, we become hypersensitive to that. And, and then we kind of almost act like, uh, an, I did. I, I had this issue with my ex-husband. I was horribly jealous because he was very clearly attracted to other people a lot. And this made me feel about this big. And I became obsessed with watching his eyes. And then I became obsessed with watching every man's eyes in my whole life. And it was horrible. (laughs) Like I couldn't stop for a long time. And in fact, I carried that into my current relationship um, when I got pregnant with my now 15-year-old, who I'm, I'm pointing at the wall because he's in the other room right now. They're off school for election day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I was triggered by the pregnancy. And I, and I may have told this story before, but I'll make it quick. One of my best friends in the world came to my house for the weekend. And she was not pregnant. <laughs> and, you know, when you're pregnant, everybody else looks skinny to you and super hot Mm -hmm. and and my current husband would never ever do anything like hurt me in that way okay but I couldn't see that at that moment I could only see that that he was being polite to her (laughs) while she was a guest in our home (laughs) and and Mm -hmm. I really I almost lost my my proverbial poo I really I could not handle it and I thankfully she was a person I could talk to about that and I explained to her why I was feeling how I was feeling she was totally cool and understanding and it was great but we don't always have that luck my point is that I don't want anyone here to misunderstand me when I'm saying that sometimes narcissists act overly jealous of younger more younger and or more attractive people because it's not just a narcissistic quality sometimes they also kind of incite us to feel that way I did feel that way did you ever feel anything like that or was that just a me thing (laughs) well I've dated some people in the past that definitely planted like intentionally planted seeds of like jealousy and insecurity yeah and that I had never that's that was a first for me when I came across that because I'm not normally jealous or insecure and I, whew, that can really be unnerving because you start really walking on eggshells. And like you said, you're looking at everybody and um, just feeling, cause there's always some sort of like kernel of truth to that. Oh, Do you know sure. what I mean? Like, yeah. well, if you just lost 15 pounds, you'd, you'd be so much more attractive or, Oh, if you were, can you blame me for looking at her? Like she was tall and blonde. Right. Right. And so it was just all of these things you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm just, don't feel like I'm enough. And then, you know, yeah, it's awful. I, yeah. I, I spent my entire like teens and twenties. Yeah. Pretty much trying to mold myself into whatever a lot of other people wanted me to be. Uh, you know, I, I tried to be taller and I'm just kidding. I didn't really, but um, I might as well have, you know, tried to be taller mm-hmm. because I, I couldn't, none of us can be something we're not, you know, we can all lose weight or gain weight. We can all, you know, change the shape of our body up to a point. We can go get plastic surgery, et cetera, if we choose to do that. But who we are is who we are. And, and I think that until we can, it took me a long time to get here, Dana, but now I can actually say I'm, I'm, this is who I am. And I don't give a crap if people mm-hmm. don't like it. It's a beautiful thing. It is. And, you know, because yeah. at some point you have to go, I don't, I, the, I'm okay with who I am. And, and, you know, I'm okay that 
I have a touch of ADHD and I can't always remember everything. That's why I have somebody to do that for me now, or I'm okay with, you know, Mm -hmm. you make exceptions and, and you make adjustments to your life for who you truly are as you start to, to truly accept yourself. I like unconditional self-acceptance and it's something that felt impossible to me for a very long time. So, yeah. Um, I didn't mean to go off track again. Yeah. No, I think it's valid. I mean, I think it just boils down to like realizing that what they say and what they do is a reflection of them yeah. and not of us. Like my mom's comment about my weight last time I saw her literally sent me to my room crying and I was tempted to change my airline ticket and come home early. Cause I just was yeah. so upset because we were having a great time. That's what she'll do. Like we'll be fine. And then she'll make these little snide comments that just kick the chair out from underneath me. And, um, I had never confronted her about any of this before. I'd always just taken it as truth. Yeah. And so then I realized I need to, so my next approach with her is going to, is going to, you know, I, so I ended up confronting her and I said, you know, when you said that it was really hurtful. And I just, these, these are certain conversations that I'm not open to discussing with you anymore. And um, we'll see how that goes. And if she continues to violate that boundary, then I'll continue to keep distancing myself. Yeah. And, but the old me internalized all of that and would have, and I, I mean, I grew up feeling like f- seriously feeling like garbage. Yeah. And the, the new me today, me is like, wow, what a rude thing for her to say, instead of thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I am so fat and gross and unlovable. I love that you verbalized that. I do. And, and I think it's so important because that's exactly what you should have thought was how rude, you know, because that's what it was. But we grow up with those people telling us that stuff. And we just don't, I think we don't even know to think differently. I I always assumed that everything that I was told by a parent was just truth. I assumed everything anybody told me was truth. And like, that's why I had all of these toxic people in my life. And I think that's why I've struggled with anxiety and depression and eating disorders and like all kinds of issues my whole life, because I just never felt like a real, like we're talking a real person because that I mattered or that I had value. And I didn't realize even that I didn't, I didn't even realize that I felt like that, which is what's weird. It was just such a normal thing of um, I just was gross and unlovable. Yeah. You know, something that happened with my mother before I went no contact, my daughter, who's 10 now, I remember we were somewhere and I, I was holding my daughter and I put these little sun, baby sunglasses on her. She was like, not even a year old yet, or just a year old. And I was like, oh, you're so beautiful, blah, 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 like parents do, you know. And my mother said, you shouldn't tell her she's beautiful. And I said, What? why would you say that? And she said, because you don't want her to be arrogant. Mm. And I thought that's a really messed up thing to say. You know, it's not like I don't also tell her she's intelligent and strong and capable. You know what I mean? I told my boys they were beautiful. You know, they were. And, but I don't, it was really eye opening for me in that moment. Like, why would you even say to me, don't compliment your daughter who's a year old on her beauty? Cause that's not okay. (laughs) Like (laughs) still, still yeah still shocks me to think about it anyway yeah right. lots yeah. of good comments going on in the chat here um oh gosh let me see if i can scroll up and find some people are 
really keeping the chat going here. Um, well, I'll, I can't find the exact comment, but this was much earlier. Somebody had mentioned about um, that they were realizing that they were struggling with codependency and that they were attracting a lot of narcissists. And so now they've gotten to the point where they're really wanting to work on themselves, which I thought was a really yeah. insightful thing. Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I, I got to say, I tried, I spent a lot of years reading self-help or even making up my own self-help <laughs> that, you know, that wasn't necessarily healthy for me because I, I spent a lot of time trying to basically, like I mentioned earlier, mold myself into whatever somebody else thought I should be. And while there may have been some, you know, kernel of healthiness in that, what I was doing, you know, as far as trying to be better as a person, I was not trying to improve myself so much in ways that I thought I should improve. And, and so I, I, on, on that note, I think it's a very good thing when you get to the place where you're like, okay, now I want to work on me, but I also want you to remember, and I want everybody to remember when, when you get to that place, totally do that when you're ready, but don't work on yourself to make yourself what someone else thinks you should be, be what you want to be. And I know that sounds very cliche, but it's deep for us as survivors, because at least for me growing up, I, I had this whole other image of what I was supposed to be. And that meant that what I was wasn't good enough. So I, I want people to work on themselves, but also to embrace their true nature, which they may have never done in their lives if they grew up with a narcissistic parent. I hadn't until I was 35. So mm-hmm. you know, something to think about. Yeah. And real quick, Julie, and I don't I think she might've been the one that maybe mentioned the codependency thing. I just want to clarify. She made a comment here. She says, it was Dana that made me realize it wasn't them. It's me. Let me, let me just clarify that real quick. So if, if they own their behavior and then we have to own ours. So if they were abusive, if they were, you know, horrible in any way, shape or form, that's on them. Like we can't make another person like we can't walk on enough eggshells to stop the abuse. And we didn't start it. Like that's within them for their behavior. But with us, um, the stuff that is, I guess, gosh, the things that we can look at within ourselves, let's put it that way, is kind of, if we have a pattern of being attracted to people that, um, are like this. And a lot of them do come across as like super intense, really charming, mm-hmm. you know, like this whirlwind, this amazing soulmate whirlwind kind of yeah. person right up right away. If we continually find ourselves attracted to that, that's definitely something to look at. And until we can figure out like, what is the attraction to it? We're going to, odds are, we're going to continue to repeat the cycle. Yes. And so that's the part that we need to break. And you know, for me, it was the realization. Like we were talking about core wounds earlier. For me, it was I grew up feeling unloved and unimportant. I was primed for people that made me feel very loved and very important. I ate that up. Oh, me too. So I hopped into that whirlwind and I helped create it. I was just all about that. I'm like, oh my goodness, where have you been my whole life? Mm-hmm. You know, this is so fantastic. And I had to learn how to do things different. So I no longer see that level of intensity and, and um, that just that whirlwind, that rushing of intimacy as something positive. I, I now see it as the red flag that it is. 
Yeah. Um, so I just don't even get near anything like that. I make sure I set the pace and move things along with people at a pace that I'm comfortable with. But if I feel like anxious or unhinged or um, like fearful or any of those emotions, so, you know, if I feel like they have squirrely behavior or if they're insincere right away, especially I'm out the door. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I totally agree with you. And and that's, that's having, having standards. And it's also, and something I want to add to what you're saying, because it's everything Dana just said is totally true, everyone. But to add to that, to kind of give you something easy to remember, you know, um, you can't, you can't beat yourself up for what you didn't know when you didn't know it. Okay, so yeah. When you're raised a certain way, you know no differently. You have to like literally invent your own understanding of it. And that sounds simple, but it's hard because it's like if you, you know, if you were raised in a certain kind of a, let's say a cult, because we've talked before about how narcissists are like cults. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're raised in a cult and you know nothing but the cult and the cult told you that the color blue is actually the color green, it's going to be really hard for your whole life. You're always going to look at the color blue and go green. And then you go, no, that's blue when you realize the difference. And that's a really simple example. But that's the case with all of the things that we were taught as young children that were like really just sort of ingrained in us. And the same for somebody who's in like a 25-year relationship or a 30-year relationship with a narcissist. Things that you hear when you're 25, you know, when you're 55, you're still going to think those things. You know what I mean? You're going to still have to question yourself and rethink that stuff. So stuff becomes kind of ingrained, our, our beliefs become ingrained. And so when you learn different, when you learn better, you do better is my point. Yeah. You know, and so yes, yes, look at what you could change to make yourself stronger and more um, effective and healthy in relationships and out of them. But don't beat yourself up for the mistakes you made, just recognize them. And then go, okay, I can do better in this area, like Dana was saying, being aware of the red flags, know what you can and can't you know, control and don't, don't focus on stuff that, that you can't control, but do forgive yourself for the mistakes you made in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And here's a comment from uh, Rahel or Rachel. I'm not sure. Uh, she says, all I need is for someone to please tell me he will treat her the same way he treated me. Can I tell her? Go for it. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He will. And, and sadly, sadly, he will. Um, these very often I hear, you know, people are in like, like loops. And so like, here's an example. So let's say he calls you. Oh, here we go. Let's use one from a movie. <laughs> okay. So in the movie Legally Blonde, which y'all know, I love that movie. <laughs> um, L Woods is called like Pooh Bear by her boyfriend in the beginning of the movie. And then when she meets the new supply, who's somehow better because she went to a different school or something, um, she hears him call her Pooh Bear. And they have similar relationship experiences. And she's wearing the big diamond that Elle Woods thought she was going to wear. And all of this stuff, the point is that it's almost like they just keep playing the same story again and again. And they just play it with different actresses or actors or characters and you know what I mean so like they'll they'll go to the same places you know the same first date restaurant the same you know proposal place the same ring sometimes you know what I'm saying it's like this ongoing thing uh, cycles and I've made several videos about that Dana what are your thoughts yeah I mean I think you have to look at somebody's behavior behavior in all of us tends to run a pattern 
Sure. We all have different ways that we handle stuff. So like what Angie's talking about, a lot of like that is its own level of creepy. And it's that's such a great example um, of how they'll do the same loops with different people uh, or very similar. Right. right. But it's an illusion. Yes. Like none of it's real. And so like in the movie, L realizes this, like, oh my gosh, like I wanted the fantasy with the guy, but this guy is a fantasy of his own. Yes. Like none of this is real. And and for us, it's so easy to think, oh my goodness, they're going to go run off. They're going to find this other person and they're going to live happily ever after. And all of the verbal abuse and the emotional abuse and psychological abuse, maybe even physical abuse is going to somehow stop. It yeah. doesn't. Yeah. That There's a deep seated, like multiple reasons, like pathological dysfunctional reasons as to why somebody's behaving so dysfunctionally. That right. stuff doesn't, getting a new person isn't going to change that. No, and it will seem like at the beginning of that, you know, when your relationship is ending yeah. and there's this beginning, it'll seem like, oh my God, he's so much better to her or she's so much better to him. Oh, a hundred percent. And just like in, just like in Angie's example, like, oh my goodness, this girl's she got the ring. She's got the guy. She's got the fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's the fantasy. And so if yeah. you're looking at their social media, media, especially if you've got a sadistic ex on your hands where they're going to be really hitting buttons, they're going to take that person. They're going to start doing things that they would never do with you. Like you wanted to go to Cancun. Now they're going to Cancun. You wanted the ring. They're getting the ring. Like these kinds of things. And that can really make a person that can drive a person to suicide. Things like, oh my gosh, I I really was all me. I I was the problem. And now they're going to go live happily ever after. But you really got to anchor yourself into understanding that dysfunctional behavior doesn't stop with a new person. Um, It's like they, they might think that it will. Um, but it, it doesn't because it's this, it's this view of other people that other people should behave how they feel that they should behave. And it's that controlling, like domination driven mindset. And so when, when that, the idealized stage wears off and it settles into, like they start settling into being real with each other, or she, I should say, she starts settling into being real and having her own opinion and in things. And if he, when he starts not liking things about her, cause it'll probably be different things. Right. Um, he's going to start grinding her down in the same way that he did to you. These people don't, they don't stop. I mean, and if they were to, it would take years of intensive therapy to yeah. even move the needle, but it doesn't stop with the light switch or, you know, the flip of a switch or a brand new person. It really, really doesn't. So true. Yeah. So true. Absolutely. And Sorry, I just, I, I, I had a, I have a situation. Um, okay, so I don't mean to just like go off onto another subject, but um, when you mentioned eating disorders earlier, mm-hmm. um, Ann Speaker said, are eating disorders a big part of children with narcissistic parents? And you know, that's a good question. I've never actually looked into that, but I can tell you that I struggled with eating disorders. And Dana, you, you say that you have as well. Yeah. Um, do you think that's connected? I mean, I think it could very easily be connected what with growing up feeling not good enough, but what are your thoughts on that? I think eating disorders in general um, tend to be about gaining control and they tend to be a way of coping. And so um, it's sort of like if we're not getting uh, certain needs met, it's either about control, right? Like in generally, like if we're not getting certain needs met, then we start turning 
to food or start controlling food. The brain is an interesting thing, like all of these different ways that we don't consciously decide on, like, hey, I'm going to cope by developing bulimia, um, that these things just kind of happen. And it can happen quickly. But I, I really do feel like if a person grows up in a really rigid, controlling environment where their sense of individuality is continually ground down, yeah. that's that person is going to have understandably, they're going to have major issues. And that kind of stuff is going to surface in a wide variety of ways. It's sort of like if you watch the any of like the my 600 pound life shows, Mm -hmm. like every single person on there is it's they started gaining weight after a death after some sort of trauma after a sexual assault, um, after they grew up in an abusive household, like there's always some sort of like traumatic event that kind of kicks that stuff off. And yeah. It's been my experience. I think my guess is if I had to put money on it, that uh, when a person grows up in a controlling environment, odds are it's not necessarily overeating that they go to. It's probably, st- I would just guess statistically more anorexia and then bulimia. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably a good point. I never, I personally did not officially ever go anorexic, but I definitely went bulimic uh, for mm-hmm. a short time in my life. And it was, and I've always had struggles with that stuff, but I, I you know, uh, anyway, it, it's definitely, I think, I think everything you said is on point. I mean, that it's, there are so many obvious reasons that those two things can be connected. I've, I've never, I actually will do some research into it and see if there's anything I can find on it, but I've never thought about that before. So, And here's a, an interesting question. Rick asks, um, do you know why some narcissists try to spread HIV? I saw that in the chat earlier and I, I, I don't know why anybody would try to spread HIV, but I would suspect that they want people to be as miserable as they are if they are doing that. Um, I think it's a disgusting and horrible thing to do to anybody, anyone. Um, I would, maybe it has something to do with revenge on the human race. I don't really know. What are your thoughts about that? My guess is it's either about control. I would imagine that having, um, I mean, HIV in this day and age is not the death sentence that it was back in the 80s, mm-hmm. but it's still, you know, an incurable disease. Um, I, I would imagine that to a narcissist, that level of power over another person is probably somewhat intoxicating. And even if it, that's not the driving behavior, it might even just be as simple as they don't like to wear a condom or that they don't um, feel that they owe it to, if it's a woman who has HIV that she doesn't feel that she just doesn't want to tell her she likes, she doesn't like a guy wearing a condom. Like it could seriously just be like, I like to have sex a certain way. And, and I don't care. What and I don't care. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I good mean, point. sometimes it's not like super deep. Sometimes right. it's just like, Hey, this feels good. And why not? That's a very good it doesn't point. impact me. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. And I think that's probably a more accurate thing than what I said, because the truth is you're right. They don't even think about it. Um, and that's, I can't believe sometimes the, the level of inconsiderate is inconsideration a word, but you know, the level of lack of consideration that these people have for anyone else, their feelings, their thoughts, their whole life. That's really something. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's amazing. Cause even though we, you know, we all know about this stuff. I, I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, man, I am serious, like continually surprised by the outrageousness of behavior that I hear about or that I come across like in these different true crime stories or um, 
what happened. There was one true crime story I was watching. The guy was a doctor and he was having an affair, a long time affair with, I think, a nurse in his office. Or maybe it was the secretary. I don't know. Anyways, she he was the doctor was married and he kept telling her he was going to leave his wife and he wasn't happy and blah, blah, blah. Well, this went on for years. And finally, she was like, I'm getting played. He just wants a mistress. And so she left him started dating somebody else. He'd always kept, he wouldn't let go. He's like, I, you know, you're mine. We belong together, blah, blah, blah. He ends up coming over to her house and saying something like he needed to get some sort of blood sample from her for something. Um, He was also like her doctor. And anyways, he ends up intentionally infecting her with HIV and hepatitis. And they caught him. He's now in jail good you know life sentence and um but yeah I was like oh my god like this guy you know here he is he's married he's got three kids he's got a whole life and he just couldn't let go because she called it off and it was just all about control and he was going to make sure that he quote-unquote ruined her but she actually ended up getting married and um you know her and her new husband take precautions I'm sure but like but but still yeah that's or here's another example of like i didn't realize i didn't know this until the other day uh ted bundy you know he'd murdered all of those women back in like that what was it 70s or so 70s or 80s and there was a place where he was burying all of the bodies and when he died one of his final requests was to be cremated and have his ashes spread uh, over that area oh my goodness i hope they didn't give it to him they did oh and I, I was horrified. I was so angry about that. I almost threw my laptop across the room. I was so angry. Um, but uh, I think his family honored his wishes, which makes me want to go look up each one of them and then go punch him in the face. Yeah. Um, but imagine how his people, I mean, his, their family. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. Like you selfish, rotten, ridiculous. I just, um, God, I just w- went through the roof when I realized that they honored that request. It's, it's that level of control. Like yeah. it doesn't, it's. Yeah. Well, I, and I've heard similar stories about like um, men throwing acid on women's faces, uh, you know, yeah. when they won't date them or they break up with them or whatever, the, you know, really attractive women. And now they look like, you know, trolls or whatever. And that's a mean thing to say. I don't mean it like that. I just mean, they don't look like themselves anymore. They look like their faces are melted. And I think mm-hmm. if they survived it and I think, my God, you know, how, <sighs> How there's no there's no thought to consequences and then or it's like with chris watts you know the guy that killed his pregnant wife and two kids you know if they act impulsively like that like what an idiot right like this is your plan like you're gonna go kill your whole family and then dump d- he dumped the bodies of his two children in where he worked like hey genius like really you don't think they're gonna connect two and two can i you know i totally agree with you on that and i just want to throw in this little Uh thing that happened i i heard about was somebody mentioned to me that they had been following this youtuber that had been posting a bunch of stuff from the wife Uh uh, like from before she passed and this person was implying that she was some sort of narcissist and she was the abuser and he was the innocent person now i'm not saying any of it's true because i don't know those people but and i tried to find the videos they were talking about but i was unable to locate anything that said to me this is a person who's abusing her husband. Um, but with that being said, I, I thought that was an interesting 
thing I heard. It was somebody that's in our community. Um, and, and I thought, and she was very upset about it. I think, you know, in hindsight, she recognized that her anger may have been kind of triggered because of something that happened in her own life. And she was sort of, I think, not able to express her anger about that. And we kind of worked through that, but, but she, for a while, she couldn't stop looking at these videos and she was obsessed with them and very angry about them. And so I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I'm sure you haven't seen them either, but I thought that was weird. I, I haven't seen them. I think the, the vibe that I got from the videos that I have seen with them is that he was the guy who was living a life that he didn't want. And he was so concerned about public opinion and living this life that he felt like he should want. I mean, he had this long history of cheating on his wife that she, I guess, either maybe didn't know about, but it for sure all came out fairly recently. Um, But my guess is, you know, he, if there were issues in their relationship, I guess they were deep in debt and there was a bunch of stuff going on. If, if she was a contributing force to that, if he was all about public opinion and really playing the part of like this nice guy, odds are he just kept swallowing his frustration. And then, um, you know, I think with the final, this latest pregnancy and everything else, it just, everything kind of got to like this boiling level, but I mean, it's still my goodness. Like there's many different things that you can do besides, you know, kill your family. Um, The fact, and, and I guess like, I could see getting so upset with your spouse that a person could snap and like hurt them or even kill them. I'm not even don't, please don't get me wrong. I'm not condoning this at all. I'm not saying like, right. I got you, but like to to lay a hand on your children like that, like that to me, that's where it's like, okay, this is more than just a guy who'd been, you know, whose wife, let's just say hypothetically had been spending a lot of money and drove him deep in debt. Like it's more than just that. Oh my God. Because yes. It was the other two kids. So he erased, he had to erase all of that. And they were little order. tiny babies. I mean, they were like what, one and two or something. Oh yeah. I mean like three and five. Maybe that's right. Yeah. But it, It's so much. It's yeah. I can't even like, I look at my 15 year old who stands a head and a half taller than me. And I, I still can't even imagine hurting him. I can't imagine how any parent could do that. Um, yeah. But, it's yeah. just tragic. I think the point is like, you know, we have to realize like when we're dealing with a person that has, that lacks empathy and remorse, um, they are potentially dangerous. Like this stuff doesn't have to escalate. It's not even like he may or may not have ever been verbally or emotionally abusive behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't always escalate in like a predictable way. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. 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 Um, hey, Angela Falsetta, welcome back. Welcome back. This is my, I want to point this out really quickly. Angela Falsetta, who just popped into the chat, was my very first channel member, and I just really appreciate her. Oh, Thank how you. fun. Yes, I love her. Yay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's see here. Um, Adrian, hello. She says, Adrian says, Thank you for helping me recognize after 10 years what kind of relationship cycle I was in. Thank you for sharing that. I, that's my, that's why we're all here, I think. Thank you. Um, so, oh, this is interesting. Adrian says, I went to a Tony Robbins convention, purchased a relationship coach, lost 50 pounds in three months and tried to move on. But then I fell for it again, just like each time before. And I, I think that's more common. And then, and then Adrian goes on to say, thank you for helping me recognize the relationship cycle I was in. That, 
that's interesting because I kind of did that in between toxic relationships where I was like, okay, I'm out of that mess. Now let me get myself together. And I would pull myself together and I would, you know, get on the right track and I would be moving in the right direction. And then what would I do? I would end up in another damn toxic relationship. (laughs) And I couldn't, you know, and for years I didn't know what that was about, you know, and by the way, Shestina, thanks for calling me young. What's up? Um, You know what I'm saying? So I think, uh, I think that's, something that we constantly struggle with until we recognize exactly what Adrian said, the cycle, you know? Oh, totally. Well, and the thing too is like, you know, they come across differently. They so do. Even though they're all kind of cookie cutter with like a lot of the behavior, they all have their own unique spin on it. So it's really difficult for our brain in general to link up cause and effect. Yeah. The pattern when maybe it's sometimes it's a female, sometimes it's a male, sometimes it's a boss, sometimes it's a coworker, sometimes yes. it's your next door neighbor, sometimes it's a person you volunteer with, or it's a person you're dating or a friend, like yeah. they're out there. And so it just, I think it's just this waking up period where, because odds are most of the time it's people are like, okay, it's I had this significant relationship that caused me a tremendous amount of pain, whether that's a parent or it's a significant other. Generally, it's one of those two. It might be uh, even like a boss or somebody that has power over them mm-hmm. where they're like, man, I, I feel like I have PTSD. Like what's wrong with me. Yeah. Right. And so then they find us and then it's like, it just takes a while to start seeing the bigger picture of, Oh my God, it's not just the men I date or the women I date. It's there's these people out there. And I just wasn't a, awake to this kind of behavior and how prevalent it was. And so all of a lot of most people really like, cause the stuff again, it's not taught. So healthy boundaries, having a healthy degree of skepticism, understanding your instincts, um, setting the pace, going slow, not taking to- strangers for face value, mm-hmm. you know, like having trust that's slowly earned over a period of time with consistent behavior. Like yeah. this is not how the vast majority of the world operates. And when you do start operating like this, they're going to look at you like you're hypervigilant. Oh yes. And you're not, it's just precautionary. And when you do, we get those looks to say, sorry, I just have, sta- don't say sorry. Say, you know what? I have standards because yeah. that's all it is. And, and, and I think, you know, eh, this is a silly example. My daughter, she, we were at the pool one day, this little girl was following us all around the pool and she was to be fair, a little bit annoying and a little bit too clingy, too fast. Maybe came from some situation I'd uh, anyway. Mm-hmm. And and it, and she became a little bit weird. And my daughter, she I still can't believe it today. She this was like last year. She looks at the girl and she goes, Really? At, at when the girl said something inappropriate. And she just swum away. Like, no thanks. And I thought, well, good for her, but now I'm stuck with this girl. <laughs> so <laughs> And I felt bad walking away from the girl because she was so clingy and weird. And, and the, it's a weird thing to say, but my daughter already at nine last year had these standards for herself that she just didn't want somebody like that in her space. And I was really proud of her for that. But again, also a little bit like that was rude. So, but go ahead. Sorry. But I didn't tell her that. I told her I was proud of her for having standards and told her how to be more polite about it next time if she must, you know, because she didn't really, we didn't know this girl, but she was very different. Anyway, what were you going to say? Yeah. And I think that's a great example of like some of the, the well-intended stuff because other parents um, would probably, there was a story going around the internet for a while where um, her daughter was, I think like being bullied mm-hmm. 
And her mother in, like forced her to invite this girl to her birthday party and was like, you guys need basically need to be friends. And the whole story was, God, um, I'm going to go on a road trip around just punching people in the face. Um, her- <laughs> Can I go too? I'll punch them too. <laughs> I'll hold them down for you. Jeez. And her mother was um, was saying, you know, she was like, well, it was, so it was painted in this way of like, oh my gosh, her mom's so progressive and like so open-minded and how beautiful that they're, they're, these kids are being forced to work out their differences. And I'm reading this and I'm like, this is horrible. Like now your daughter, she's not allowed to have standards. She's not allowed to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. And she's being taught that she needs to be friends with abusive people. Like how many different toxic messages can wow. be taught in like one situation, you know? And I'm sure her mom had good intentions with it, but like that's how that stuff can really go wrong. So I think it's great you know, with your daughter in the pool, I like totally, I would have felt the exact same way of like, oh gosh, like that's you know, like, this poor other little girl and like right. it's kind of awkward. And But yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, it's you, yes, you need to choose who you want to be friends with. And it's okay to not like, to not like people, right? To not want to hang out with them. Right. And I, and I, I, I really do think that the way she went about it in this case was rude, but I sat down and explained to her, you know, here's a more polite way you can do that because I don't want her to take people and into her heart or into her little circle that are going to be abusive people or people who are toxic to her in any way. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? And, and so I was proud of her at the same time I was feeling stuck and codependent in that moment because I didn't have a way out. Eventually I had to, you know, this girl was like, oh, we don't need to go into it anyway. <laughs> yeah. That was some craziness right there. Um, okay, Tommy Taylor says, I'm now involved with a narcissistic man. I'm a strong woman, but he's slowly killing me. I feel trapped. He worked his way into my life. Oh, no. By helping me while I'm dealing with cancer. This is very difficult. Mm. Yeah, this is very difficult, Tommy. Um, first of all, let me say that I'm so sorry for what you're going through. And secondly, um, if there's anything that you can do, is this part? Of, I, I guess I would ask you to look at your options. If this person lives in your house, you know there are certain legal options you can use to get rid of him. Um, maybe family members can help. I, I I don't even know what to say. I I would say that you see he's he's helping her while he's dealing with cancer, or at least he was, and now he's slowly killing. What are your thoughts, Dana? I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. This is a tough one. Tough one. I would strongly encourage you to gather kind of circle the wagons of the supportive people that you do have in your life. Because, um, if you are battling cancer right now, the last thing you need is another toxic thing in your life. And if this guy's killing you, like this is, um, it might be hard to kind of detach from him and to try to go through all of this. But if you can gather your support system, then you won't be alone in handling this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, let's see here. We have um, an interesting thing here. Casey Carter says, do they know they're narcissists? And we've got some answers in here. People saying, no, they think their behavior is normal. And then mentioning tribe behavior, things like that, generational. Um, And I think, you know, some people don't even understand that the term narcissist is negative. They just think it means self-focused. Or self-love. Yes. And that's not the case in fact i think a lot of narcissists really don't like themselves but there are varying opinions on that but i think what it comes down to is do they know they're a toxic person 
No, not usually. They usually think everyone around them is the problem. And if they were ever able to look at themselves honestly and and find that core wound that caused them to get to this point, I think they would explode. I'm just kidding. I mm-hmm. think they would potentially um, I think they could potentially heal if they could ever get to that point, but I've just never seen it happen. And I think that their disorder doesn't allow them to do that personally. What are your thoughts, Dana? Yeah, I think it's also important because um, we talked about this on my channel a little bit. There's another YouTuber out there talking about a, um, a cure for narcissism and kind of healing that core wound and this, that, and the other. I think it's important to realize it's not like a, it's not like a lion with a thorn in their paw right? That you pull the thorn out and they're going to somehow be a nice cuddly kitten. Right. Like, even if that poor wound was healed, they have, don't have, they're still emotionally, they're in a state of arrested development. Yes. They're at, at the maturity level of about a six-year-old. They will now need to learn all of the skills to be a fully functioning, mature, healthy adult. That's the part. If they even found the poor wound, if they were even motivated to work on it, to get to that point where you're becoming a full, mature, functional adult, you're talking years, most likely decades. Yeah. Um, and so, they, and they don't usually think there's anything wrong with that. Well, that's the thing. I like I, a real, a good, honestly, like a true narcissist mm-hmm. isn't going to think that they have a problem because they're so entitled. Like it's the idea of me, 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 me. It's all about me all the time. And it should be all about me all of the time. And if you have a problem with that, you're mean, you're abusive, you're manipulative. Yeah. Like, how dare you get sick when I'm trying to go out in public with you and have you looking all sexy on my arm? <laughs> right. You know? Right. How or dare you I'm... not have sex with me three days after you've given birth? Yeah. You're Don't you know I have needs? Don't, right. Don't you know I have needs? Right. Um, it's your fault for um, finding out that I cheated on you. I can't trust you. Right. So, Right. They just spin reality. So like when right. you're dealing with a person who is so far away from being able to like even be in reality, like you can't have a functional relationship with somebody who's not in reality, like period That's- in the story. Like then you're just dealing with delusion and fantasy. It's true. As, as, um, as Ray tells Casey Carter here, they may not realize because in general they are in their own little world. They're very, very delusional. And that's just a hundred percent true. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, let's see here. You want to do one more question and then. Oh yeah. We're over time. Wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. You got one for us. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> I'm Go looking right there. Okay. Let's see. Um, well, here's a comment that I think okay. is, is worthy of discussion. <laughs> Nerd of God says, I think the only thing most of us have done wrong was project our good qualities onto them and stay for the abuse. I think that's a a very interesting way to put it. And I think there's something to that Mm -hmm. Um, because what are they doing to us 90% of the time? They're projecting their bad qualities onto us and, and nerd of God is right. By the way, I love that name. Nerd of God has been on my channel a few times. Love that person. I'm not even sure if we're talking to a male or female, but great name. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I totally, I think that's accurate up to a point um, because we do, tend to give them more credit than they're due. And, and the other thing is, I don't know if I ever projected my own good qualities onto a narcissist necessarily, but I certainly allowed myself to believe them when they lied to me about their good qualities. And I allowed myself to think less of myself as a result. For example, you know, um, I would be told that I wasn't 
making any sense when I was speaking about things to them and or telling them about my concerns or issues or whatever. And they would say things like, you know, well, you know, I don't have this problem with anyone else in my life. Everyone says you're this way. All of our friends say you're this or that or the other thing, or the whole family thinks this about you. And like, none of that stuff was true, but I believed them because they would be deflecting by attacking me. So I guess that's what I think I, I, I think part of my issue was, and I think that all stems right back to growing up, believing lies. I was told about myself since birth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's all a thing. What are your thoughts about it? Well, and I think this is one of the, um, perhaps like hardest realizations for so many of us to realize is like, yeah, oh my goodness. Like all I did was be like a, you know, a nice, normal, forgiving person And I was projecting my moral compass onto them thinking that like given enough like love or understanding or rehab or religion or therapy that they change. Mm -hmm. And the reality is us projecting our moral compass onto them is, is our part of the fantasy. Yeah. And um, Pia Melody refers to this as a sign of, this is going to sound really harsh, um, but she's, she's right on is she calls it like, this is, uh, this, when we grow up in a less than nurturing home, I like how she describes that a less than nurturing home. So we're not given context about kind of how the world works. Then, um, it's a sign of immaturity Mm. to not see people for how they really are and to not respond accordingly. That that's a good point. And I don't know that I love the word immaturity, but it's harsh, right? But I totally, in my own life, I can look at myself and see that see where at some point, I mean, I've often thought to myself in, in recent years, like, I can't believe that I ever was that person. Yeah. But it, it definitely, in, in hindsight, it definitely was immaturity. And I, uh, also a way of like, um, like a fairy tale thing in my head, you know, like I thought that marriage was X, Y, Z. And, and, and so I projected my thoughts of what marriage was supposed to be onto that marriage. Does that make sense? Yes. So I guess I can kind of come back around and see, I can't remember who made the comment, um, but I can kind of see what they're saying because I didn't necessarily project my own personal qualities, but I definitely projected my beliefs on And, and this kind of comes full circle because we talked at the beginning about the rumination thing and about our beliefs and our understandings of, of people. Um, But that's a really interesting point, Dana. It definitely was a maturity for me in hindsight or, or naivete. Naivete. Yeah. That probably is a better word because I know had somebody, phrased it in that way I, that would have brought out rage in me me too and yeah. because it was like as again this stuff is not taught and to the vast majority of people out there and i think it's very the default for people i think is to assume that other people are like us especially yes. when they pretend to be like us yes. and to have the same moral compass so i think anybody can get caught up in this stuff and frankly it's only on the other side of hell of going through all of this and then coming out on the other side that we can start gaining this awareness because had somebody told us, Hey, just to let you know, there's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing out there and you can't tell who they are. And and oftentimes they'll come dressed as everything that you're looking for. Yeah. And they'll pretend to be godly. They'll pretend to have a compass. They'll pretend to be all of these, like they want to have kids that they love you. They'll pretend to be the, like the devil comes dressed as everything you're looking for. Right. Not with horns and a tail. Right. And, but had we not gone through this, we wouldn't have believed it because people tend to think we can spot danger. 
because people think, oh, I, I can spot a wolf in wolf's clothing. I'm fine. And it's like, yeah, you are fine. Except what if that wolf comes in sheep's clothing? Good point. And, so it, and they always do, don't they? The ones we... The vast majority of time. I mean, yeah. thank goodness for the ones that come looking like Charles Manson because they're <laughs> easy to hop out of the way, right? But nine yeah. times out of 10, they, they come like Bill Cosby or Casey Anthony or... Oh my God. Matt Peterson yeah. or Chris you Hawks, know, you know? Yes. And there is something about us humans that makes us less... Um, something about us as humans that when we see an attractive, a physically attractive person who's well-dressed and properly groomed, we automatically assume they're good people. There's studies that are done on this. Go look it up, you guys. Mm-hmm. You could have a, you know, I don't know, like a, a, a monk, let's say. I'm trying to think of who's a really good person. <laughs> I don't know. A really good person who just dresses kind of bummy and, you know, doesn't have like the best job in the world. And then you could have somebody over here looking like a model and all polished and perfect and who's actually evil, maybe Satan herself. And and what you have going on then is you have us all backing away from the, the less, you know, presentable person, the less attractive person who might be, you know, the best person in the world and, and leaning into the more attractive, horrible person. And I think, and it's not because we're all like, it's not because we're all like uh, superficial assholes, pardon me, but it's it's because our human nature leads us to think that people who are more physically attractive are nicer people. It's a fact. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the truth is that on the outside, sometimes that might seem like the case because society is nicer to nice looking people. And so people who aren't nice looking might be a little more bitter or a little bit more cautious. And, and, and what it all comes down to is human nature. So just, and that's why it's so hard, I think for us sometimes in some cases, um, as empaths, as codependents, as people who go through toxic relationships and find ourselves in these cycles, is that, you know, we can't distinguish the fact that our humanity might have made us trust this uh, slightly attractive person more because of, you know, it, it's it's a mess. So our humanity isn't helping. We have to think outside of our feelings in order to successfully um, – we have to first trust our feelings of – the on some level, but also think outside of them. Does that make sense, Dana? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, there are so many great comments. I wish I could stay all day, you guys. I, I see so many really good ones I want to I want to say and, and talk about. But um, we will be back here uh, next week, actually, back here <laughs> on YouTube, but over on Dana's channel next week. We do this once a week on Tuesdays um, around the same time, usually 1230 Central. What time is it your time of day? 130 Eastern. 130 Eastern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back over there on Thrive After Abuse next week. So make sure you subscribe to both of us and hit the bell notification if you want to be notified of live streams. Um, I will also be doing a special live stream on Friday this week um, where we will be talking about the anthology that is launching very soon. I'm very excited about that. Um, if you guys want a little sneak peek into it, go to queenbeing.com slash anthology. Um, and Dana is Thrive After Abuse here on YouTube, thriveafterabuse.com, thriveafterabuse on Facebook. I saw somebody saying that they were struggling with um, needing a person to talk to about their situation. And I want to say to that person, I'm sorry, I can't remember who said it, but I have a support group called SPAN on Facebook. I have several. If you go to uh, queenbeing.com SPAN, you can look into that. Dana has Thrive After Abuse on Facebook support group and I also offer coaching services and my team offers different levels of coaching so if if any of that is of interest and Dana are you doing any coaching 
No. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, I didn't want to miss anything. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> um, it. Okay. And to everyone who's here, thank you so much for being here. I'm sorry we couldn't get through with the whole uh, chat, but I, I do appreciate you all so much. And thank you, Dana, as always, for being here. Yes, I, thank you. All right. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week, thank everybody, you. or I'll see Bye. you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Have a good one. Talk soon. <laughs> all right. Ending.